Today on the Southern California Real Estate Report, we talk about some new Chula Vista laws regarding landlords and tenants. Stay tuned. Good morning. Welcome to Southern California Real Estate Report. This is Bob McGuire and Daniel Wise coming to you from San Diego, California. Today is March 2nd, right? March 2nd today. Yeah, March 2nd. Yesterday, March 1st, uh, new eviction laws have gone into effect in what we would say is South County, San Diego. So Chula Vista, um, National City, Imperial Beach, uh, other parts of South County um, ha- have certain rent control laws that are more in line with AB 1482. Um, Chula Vista has come out with their own set of laws, and on March 1st, those laws went into effect um, for Chula Vista. So if you own rental property in Chula Vista, um, things have changed today. And um, we wanted to discuss that today. So today's podcast, we're going to go through some of these changes to this ordinance. Um, what does this mean for a landlord? What does this mean for renters in Chula Vista? Probably have a little bit of commentary on kind of where how we see this. And also kind of how we see AB 1482 now playing out in San Diego now that we've had some time to let this, you know, these, these rent control laws kind of expand into the markets and take effect and and see some of the outcomes that we're, we're seeing from these laws. I think to start with Chula Vista, probably what makes this different than AB 1482, which a lot of people are familiar with here in San Diego, because that's basically the state law. So everyone, dur- during COVID, we were operating... So I guess, so it's kind of confusing, right? So prior to COVID, we had AB 1482, which is the state rent control law, which basically was you can only increase rent by 5% plus CPI. If you wanted to evict a tenant, you had to provide what was basically a just cause eviction, um, which meant that as a landlord, you had to show cause as to why you couldn't. So the value add apartment strategy buying uh, opportunities that were available through the you know years of let's say 2013 up to basically about 2019, a lot of people were buying apartments. They were giving notice to tenants that were below market and then redoing those units, putting them back on the market at at a market rate. There was a lot of pushback from tenant advocacy groups, and that made it all the way up to Sacramento. That That's what kind of spurred on this AB 1482. There's also been issues with permitting in California. We've had multiple podcasts about permitting and how protracted the permitting process is here. So AB 1482 had some exclusions to its law. Um, if your property was 15 years uh, old or newer, you were kind of excluded from the rent control law. Mm-hmm. Um, if 
you were a landlord and you were giving a notice for an eviction, you had the right to evict for a number of different things. And it wasn't as stringent as this new Chula Vista law is um, from a standpoint of the remodeling and construction you were doing. So there's a lot of a lot of back and forth on this. And I but without going too deep into this, because we're just doing kind of a quick podcast for everyone to understand it. So there's good and bad to this. Right. So the Chula Vista law, after reading this today, and understanding this better, I, Chula Vista's position is, hey, a lot of these evictions that were happening in our market were to a lot of senior citizens, to maybe people that were disabled, people that were way below market rent, and, uh, you know, who maybe are on fixed income and things like that. So part of that, look, we all understand that, right? That happens. Real estate is, um, you know, it's a it's an entrepreneurial business. Sometimes there are... Uh, People that look at rent rolls from an opportunistic standpoint, you have to have yield, right, on real estate transactions. And and also, in some cases, when you're buying an old building, there's an estimated useful life of improvements. So you have to, at some point, plan on improving units. Now, how far you want to go with that, that's typically up to the landlord or whatever your business plan is on the property law that was currently in place, AB 1482, it allowed for you to do substantial construction. The difference with the Chula Vista one now is they're putting a dollar amount limit on that. So they're saying in order for you to get rid of the tenant, you have to prove that you're going to do $40 per square foot of renovation um, improvements to that unit. So a thousand square foot unit, that's $40,000 in construction. Right. So that's that's a, a big difference to this. The other part of this that you have to do that makes it different from 1482, you now in Chula Vista, the landlord has to provide tenants with relocation payments worth up to two months rent and three months rent if the renter is a senior citizen or disabled. State law requires just one month of relocation assistance. So, again, 1482, that's the difference. It says that basically with the Chula Vista law, anyone qualifies for relocation aid, even if the renter has only one day of tenancy. The state law requires one year of tenancy. Mm-hmm. So the, so these are the differences. These are some of them. So, so it's a lot different, so, and it's a lot more stringent. So the rules are – it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. Um, and, and how, how this works for the landlords in, in Chula Vista. When serving a no-fault eviction, landlords have three days to notify the city and list its, its reasons. We don't have to do that in, in San Diego. We don't, we don't have to list our reasons. And I'm not sure what that exactly means. When you're saying notify the city, I, I'm not sure if you're reaching out to the Chula Vista housing and then they're going to get back to you and make a ruling. I mean, it, it doesn't say clearly what would happen if they say no. H- how are you going to hear that? So typically the way the process works, you would give a three-day notice and the three-day notice is is the notice to the tenant of what the reason is for the eviction. It could be non-payment of rent. It could be a violation of the lease. It, if it is a violation of the lease, typically there's a cure period to that. 
And the three-day notice is the notice to you have three days to make the cure of whatever it is. So it, it appears that there's also another layer here, and that is this additional three days to the city. And, and that's for no-fault evictions. So that means that you're going to a tenant. Um, no-fault means that it's that, that it is not for non-payment of rent. Let's put it that way. Um, the local law in Chula Vista applies to all properties regardless of age, while AB 1482, that law exempts those that are 15 years old or newer. Um, Chula Vista does not exempt, exempt some properties such as mobile homes. Uh, or excuse me, Chula Vista does exempt mobile home properties. So they're, they're exempt from this, from this new law. And then, of course, lastly, the substantial remodel thing is a big deal. This, this $40 per square foot, that's, um, you know, that's, uh, that's, that's a much different remodel, you know, number. I mean, to spend $40,000 in a thousand square foot apartment unit, unfortunately for, for landlords in Chula Vista, it's going to drive prices up on construction. And You're going to have to drive prices up in construction. Yeah. I mean, so it's 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 going to be it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. And then lastly, Chula Vista they're they're also classifying more actions as harassment and retaliation. So they're saying that the city is going to prohibit landlords from refusing rent payments or committing fraud to influence someone to vacate their unit or verbally abusing someone to provoke an immediate violent reaction. So, you know, clearly the city – so it's interesting, right? I mean, I've never heard of any of these things occurring, at, at least it, with the owners or amongst the portfolio of properties that we run, that that we have – We – I have experienced owners overstepping – in fact, we have experienced owners overstepping. Yeah, but it's not not like that. Not where they're not not in the sense that they're 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 you know committing fraud or trying to influence someone to vacate their unit. That that's a rarity. I mean, maybe maybe for construction trying type to stuff. to convince someone to vacate their unit, I would say yes. We have experienced that fraud. No. Yeah. But. Trying to convince someone to vacate their unit, I would say. We but it was probably for a very good reason, like where there was a tremendous amount of work that needed to be done and it was going to be an inconvenience for everybody. My point being is that. The other thing is some of these older units, you know, people really dig in and, and then it becomes a health and safety thing. And then both parties have a really hard time dealing with that. And that's the thing. So I think that's the other that, – That's in, if you were going to go to that place, then the other component to this is that there has to be help provided to those tenants that that are in that situation. But The biggest problem that we have here, the reason why we're all faced with these laws, though, is, is on one side, I understand the tenant pr- protections. And we're lucky. We, we have very good tenants and we take very good care of our tenants. And we have very good owners who are very responsive to tenant needs. So we're not out there pushing our tenants around. I think there are some bad actors in the real estate world that are pushing people around and causing these problems. Even back in the day when we were doing a lot of the value-add type apartment transactions that we were a part of, um, 
you know, there there were certain situations where we, we just left tenants alone and just, you know, worked around it. And we still have, you know, to this day, legacy tenants on our rent rolls for certain buildings that uh, that were from that period and units that, that remained unremodeled. So, you know, now that that's a testament to the owners that we work with and we've been very selective in who we will work with. And that's, you know, that's that's helped us. But. I, I look at this in some ways. A lot of this goes back to having a massive supply problem and a lack of – I push a lot of this onto the side of the cities. The cities need to get better internal processes to approve permits so that housing becomes competitively priced. That's why you're having a lot of these problems. But It's a supply problem. You know? Right, but but to be devil's advocate for a second, or or to bring up another point, we the problem is is that that we so we are we are in this situation where we are undersupplied, and now we're in a situation where people are paying fifty percent of their their monthly income in rent, sometimes yeah. more, and that is an unsustainable place. To be in our economy, and it goes back to supply. They of need course. to provide more housing. I and I, I I completely agree with you, but the problem is is that we're now we're here, yeah. so so we're not we can't automatically gain the the amount of units overnight that we need to to even out that playing field. So what? But here's the thing, okay? But but look back in history. Look at look at San Diego's housing stock, just overall, and and what era is a lot of the housing stock. Like if you look around Point Loma, if you look around, you know, North Park, if you look around all the different internal San Diego neighborhoods, there was a massive push for housing in the 50s and 60s. I mean, a lot of our housing stock is that 50s and 60s housing. I don't understand why it's so difficult to keep to 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 keep to get permits back to a level where it's keeping up with the demand for the housing. Clearly, there was a ton of demand after that. It was that that post World War II and 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 that era where there was a there was a massive amount of housing that was built. In but the there was city. also a massive amount of land. So I understand that, but I'm just saying from from things that are being presented from developers that we hear from all the time. From real estate investors that we hear from, we had a meeting last week, and look at what, what the guy said. I have a zoned piece of property. It's absolutely zoned for what I'm trying to do. I'm creating also affordable units and doing some micro units, which are really needed, and he's been working on that for over two years. Uh, and, and my, that's ridiculous. I understand, but we've we've gone through that, right? We know that's ridiculous. We know that we have nimbyism, and we know we have all these things. The problem is, is that it doesn't. I think my 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 point, and my only point, is is that despite all of that, that's where we are, right? Like you can't change the fact that this is where we are. I know, but these these types of draconian laws, they don't fix the situation. It just creates conflict. The only people that win in, with these types of laws are the lawyers. That's who wins. Yeah, and I'm not necessarily saying this is a solution to the problem. What I'm saying is is that we're in a, we're in a, in a situation now where 
where we are causing an economic nightmare, especially for the people who cannot afford to live here in San Diego, but have to. Yeah. And the reality is, is that, 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 so like, to be honest, my, I, I am very neutral on this topic because I think to the, to some extent, what we've done is we've caused ourselves a place where we need this. Because the only way that we can actually get people to accept the fact that, that, that multifamily at this point is not going to be a moneymaker for a lot of people is, is accepting the reality that there is rent control and you cannot do this to people. You cannot, you cannot go through units like that. And I, I, I'm not saying that 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 all real estate or that that multifamily real estate cannot have an upside like I obviously not but what i'm saying is is that like there is there's a there's even a part there's a threshold even for me and i think i've re- i've reached it right where it's like yes let's let's have this great economy let's 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 have people like you and me who can invest in multifamily and have a business in it and make money and do well and support our families and support the growth for our, for our communities but the problem is is that what i'm starting what i'm beginning to see is that it's it's starting to affect a lot more people than it should. It's it's starting to hit the people that cannot get out of their, out of their own way, and that is not necessarily their fault. And no, I agree with that. I I, I agree with what you're saying. We shouldn't. I, I, yeah. I, I, I hear what you're saying, and and so so. But here's here's the issue, okay? And 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 I respect what you're saying about the from a humanitarian standpoint of looking out across the landscape of the city and we see a lot you know we see we, a lot we, we, we see a ton we of go it. through a lot of units we see you know people that, you're you're you not going to stop people from not wanting an apartment building built in their backyard this is not urban sprawl anymore i understand that but here's the thing there at some level the city needs to step in and if there's a zoned piece of property People need to know about that. So on one side, and I'm just going to use this again as an example. So here's this guy who has a zoned piece of property for, I think he said it was 10 or or they were doing 18 units, something like that. So he's got that. It's it's properly zoned. But then the city and the state goes and passes a law that you can add four units and up to 10 units in some neighborhoods in residential zoning. So why are we not focusing and getting the zoned real estate dialed in to an expedited permitting process, regardless of the NIMBY, because the people that are the NIMBY around that should know that, hey, that property was zoned that way. That should be part of their disclosure, part of their due diligence when they buy. That's that's the understanding. That's what we all are faced with when we buy real estate. You have in California for residential, it's 17 days. You have 17 days to ask those questions and find that out. With commercial, it could be 30, 60, 90. You never know. And so my point is, you know, for the zoned things, there needs to be an expedited permit process. And the city needs to be able to take the heat from whoever the people are and all these advocates and all these people and say, look, we have to provide more housing. We have to. And if that is zoned and it's part of the master plan and it's been zoned for a long period of time, it should not take two or three years to get a construction permit. Right. But that's a but real that's, problem. I agree. And so 
and so back to your point, I do agree with what you're saying to some degree, but there's no middle anymore. So now we have, you know, North Park, for example, we've got new buildings being built by Broadstone, Graystar, all the big national guys. And we see it. We have studio units right. in North Park that are three grand, you know, or, or 2,500 or 2,600. And I think that's, well, and that's ultimately the problem, right? So I know, there is, but if you, there is no middle. If, if, if there's no middle and there's okay, no lower. But if you pass these laws that they're passing and then you can't, there's no movement in the market because on the low end, you can't make that the, the middle market. And that's how real estate works. Some of these things, there's an imperfect understanding of the movement that's required in real estate. Real estate works on movement. So you want people to move from a lower end unit. Like when you were in college, you probably lived in a, in a less expensive place than you do now. And you've moved up the ladder. Now I, I moved down the ladder. <laughs> yeah, I, now, I lived now, in PV and now yeah, I no yeah, longer yeah. live in PV. Yeah, I know. I hear what you're saying. But now, now the, the ladder, there, there's no middle ground. So there's either super expensive so maybe, or now it's going to be stuff that's going to get run down. And these buildings are older. You know, here's the thing that we've run across with this rain that nobody understands or nobody thinks about except for somebody who's sitting in the seats that we are because we have to deal with these problems. You get water leaks. Water leaks create, you know, mold issues or they create mildew issues or they require cutting out wood and rebuilding things. A lot of these buildings at a certain, there's an estimated useful life to construction that has to be factored into the thinking. So if I'm a landlord and I'm going in to try and fix something and it becomes disruptive, it feels somewhat punitive that here I am wanting to improve the building and preserve the the asset that I've purchased and improve it. And for asking for more, if I put dollars in and somebody's living there for 500 bucks a month or 800 bucks a month or a thousand a month or whatever it is, and I can't recapture that investment, you're going to cause people to not make repairs, which are going to become a lot more serious. But than, people, people shouldn't also be buying things on a two cap, hoping to make it a five cap. I, I, I hear but, what you're saying to some degree, but I mean, that's just, that's like, a whole different topic. I'm saying. But my point is, is that I think I, I get your, I understand that. These types of laws stop movement. Stopping movement stops the, the middle income. If there was demand for more middle income and, 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 middle uh, of the road housing units, we would find the land or the ways to do that. And, that, and that may take well, some rezoning where you'd run into more NIMBY stuff and things like that. But there's this, there's this great divide right now and it's going to, it's going to push the lower end into even lower. It's just not going to be as maintained as well. Well, and ultimately, the the fact is, if you don't provide housing for everyone, you're ultimately going to lose out. The city of I San agree. Diego is going to lose out. Now, just it, it doesn't matter which side of this equation you're on. I think that these laws should be put in place as a point in time. I think that's the best thing to do is to say, hey, from the, from March first, 2023, until you know, uh, whatever it is, three years down the road, we're going to do that. But there has to be a solution behind it to say the city is going to say, hey, for any kind of zone land in the city right now that meets a multi-dwelling unit zoning, 
we are going to approve those permits and do it for a period of time. If it, it, So you don't get the sprawl, then fine. Do it for two years and slow down one side and increase the other so we can get some balance. The market is totally out of balance, and that's a big problem. Yeah, and there's no there's no housing for people, and that's that is a sad reality um, of where we are. So uh, we're seeing a slowdown in the market. Yeah, we're seeing a little bit and of a slowdown in the market. We're seeing a bit of an exodus um, in California in general. So you know, there are some things that are going to change, and I think the next few years will be really telling. So it, it is, and if you're a landlord in Chula Vista, um, you know this is something that you're going to need to get familiar with. Um, this is going to change the Chula Vista landscape. You're going to see a lot of people back off on buying buildings down there. To your point, you probably won't see as much of that type of pursuit. There's also people that are long-term. Start, start buying office buildings. <laughs> the cap rates on those are amazing right now. <laughs> yeah. There's also, uh, you know, there's there's also, uh, you know, the, the demand for just, real estate for tax purposes and everything else. So not everything is value add. So that's that's one thing that we see a lot of because we're in that space heavily and you know we have a lot of people that that that's what they're looking for. I don't think that's a bad thing. I think real estate at the end of the day, I I know there's a balance between hey, this is somebody's home and this is also a business and an investment. And and, and that's that, something And I think that's ultimately ultimately the thing that that it comes down to, right? This is someone's home as well as being someone's livelihood. I agree, but it all comes down to all the people and the 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 group that lags the most in our experience has been the cities. And of course. the cities the city have got saying, to figure yeah. out their processes to make those better. So if you're gonna put these laws in place, turn around tomorrow and say, hey, I'm gonna, we're gonna go to planning. We're gonna meet with those people. We're gonna see what's going on here, so we can get housing approved quickly, especially if it's zoned. Of course, I you know agree. that's a real problem. So uh, we'll continue to track this. Thanks for listening today. This is the Southern California Real Estate Report. <laughs>